Hi, welcome to the Alice Fables podcast. I'm Liv. And I'm Sterling. And we're going to answer one of your questions about writing our books or the indie author process. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Alice Fables or here on Spotify. If you want more writing tips and tricks or information about our latest releases, join our newsletter at alicefables.com. Today we're going to talk diversity. Why your book should have it, how to include it, and how not to. Mm. And this kind of seems like a uh, a given. Like, of course your book should be diverse, especially since, like, 2020 with the uh, BML movement and, and I'm with her and all that kind of stuff. I feel like socially people are more aware of diversity than they were even just five years ago. Um, but being aware does not necessarily mean that you are implementing it or implementing it to your best category, like the best way you could. I would also say that you may not be aware that you're not implementing it because maybe who you are as a person or how you're writing or the story you're writing doesn't necessarily feel like it's not diverse or you're not diverse. So for instance, being I'm female so I might feel like, oh, I, I'm writing female characters and I'm writing what I know and, and how to be female and what that experience has been. But I may be neglecting people of color or I may be de- neglecting people of different uh, uh, abilities or disabilities, so to speak. Um, so like I might feel that I am naturally going to be more inclusive because I'm female and I'm writing female characters. But there are lots of categories of inclusivity. So I guess the first question for yourself, for yourself, for for your writing in general, mm. does your book have to be diverse? Right. And I think there are some definite pros to having diversity in your books. Mm-hmm. It'll appeal to more readers. Mm-hmm. It will be more like real life. I mean... I think there is a certain amount of verisimilitude gained by having a wide variety of characters undergoing a wide variety of challenges. Like, in the real world, in your workplace, you probably have someone who is disabled in some way. You probably have queer people. You probably have people of color. The real world, especially today's world, has gotten so small with global travel and the the ease of moving around the world, of um, immigrating. It's not easy to immigrate. I will change that, uh, what I'm saying there. But our our world has become much more of a melting pot than it was in previous centuries. Mm, yeah, this is at 1950s America. Um, or 1950s Mexico. Like. Modern Mexican... Modern... Sorry, you said Mexico. I said Mexican. (laughs) Modern medicine has progressed to the point where many people with disabilities live fairly normal lives. Well, and our our categories of disabilities have changed over the years as well. mm -hmm. So um, I believe that um, having, uh, like, uh, ADHD is technically considered a, a mental disability, I believe. I'm not okay. 100% sure about that, but it, it's not, I know that in public schools, if you have ADHD or you have dyslexia, you get 
accommodations on tests and stuff like that. Mm. So that's it's a consideration of just your brain works differently. So let's make sure that we're giving you the best opportunity to do your best job. Yes. So it's not just somebody who has like their legs don't work well. And so they have to work, walk with crutches or use a wheelchair. It's like it, this disability or differentness is wider than this one little image. So what we're, what we're essentially saying is that the world is a big, colorful, diverse place, and it adds verisimilitude to your story to have diversity within it. And it appeals to more people. So those are the two big things. Mm -hmm. Can I circle back to your vocabulary real quick? Um, for some people who maybe haven't listened to all of our podcasts, they might not know what verisimilitude means. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a fun word, but for those of you who might not know... Uh, verisimilitude is how real your story feels to the person reading it. Um, another way you might say it is suspension of disbelief. Mm -hmm. If you cross boundaries that the person can't believe, believe then they lose their suspension of, suspension of disbelief. They disbelieve what they're reading. It doesn't pull them in. It doesn't feel like a real story, a real world in the moment while they're reading it. You want your readers, especially for fantasy and fiction and sci-fi, to be transported. Yes. I mean, verisimilitude really applies to everything, every fiction. You want your fictional story to feel real while the person is reading it. Mm -hmm. This is probably not the case for how-to manuals or... Yeah. Uh, cookbooks. <laughs> I mean, those, I mean, while your readers are taking in that information, they're not necessarily leaving their own reality. Mm -hmm. But in any work of fiction, you are creating another reality, even if it is set in this world. Right. So, uh, for instance, being like Huckleberry Finn is in America. Yes. But it is a specific time in America. It's a specific set of fictional characters that don't necessarily exist in your day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. So you are creating a different reality that your readers have to believe in to be transported there. Right. So verisimilitude is a really weird, fancy term that basically is how real your story feels to the person reading it. And that doesn't mean real life right now. It can be very fantasy with magic and all that stuff. It's not like for real. It's how believable, alive, how much, yeah, yeah how transporting is your story to them. Yes. And arguably, it's almost more important the more fanciful your story is. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot, a lot of different ways you create this. It's details it's world building it's how you portray your world through the lenses of your characters and how they interact and how they feel it's basically tied to every piece of your novel and diversity i think plays a part in that yes if i am a person that falls into a diverse category which it just so happens that we both do then stories 
that don't include any of the categories I fall into. So stories that have absolutely no queer people or um, women, no, no believable women are not believable to me. Uh, one thing that gets I've talked a lot about in various writing circles is how to write women well. And there's a lot of controversy on this topic, a lot of different ways people think that should be done. But part of what that does is when it is pulled off, it makes the story believable. Everybody on this planet, just about, I won't say, I will say most everybody on this planet because I don't want to um, alienate the strange, uh, the small few have known a woman in their life. <laughs> I was like, where are you going with this? Everybody... We don't want to alienate the person who has never seen a woman, interacted or... with a woman ever or... in their entire life. There's a total clan of men and they hatch from eggs. <laughs> yeah. So we don't want to alienate the men that hatch from eggs. But... <laughs> and they're, they're underrepresented, honestly. They really are. Like they really are. A very specific story. <laughs> Basically, everyone on the planet knows... A woman. So when women are written poorly, then it detracts from verisimilitude. Yes. Most people have known somebody who falls in another diverse character, uh, category. diverse category. Like in your public school system, you probably knew kids with dis disabilities. You probably knew people of color. People of color. You probably knew queer people. Mm -hmm. So. Including these makes your your world feel more rich, more real, and it allows those people to see themselves in your works and to feel that your world is more real because there are people like them and like the people they know in your works. Yeah, and the other part of that is like you want to make your world real and you want to make your book a really good book, but also you want to make your readers feel seen. Like, mm -hmm. the other side of the coin is, like, you want to benefit from it by creating an amazing world that's diverse and rich and everybody feels it. And on the other side of the page, you want your readers to enjoy it because they don't feel left out. I, I definitely recall, just speaking from, like, the broadest category, when I was a young girl growing up, it was hard to find books with female protagonists. Yeah. And so just the gift of finding books with female protagonists who I liked and weren't kind of yeah. um, made me a happy reader who then went and read that author's whole uh, catalog. Yeah, that was a big deal for me growing up as well. Um, especially because I, I, for most of my childhood, didn't yet know that I was queer. So having examples of women in stories that I liked was something I searched and searched for. Right. And and that would almost be like a starting category for me when I was looking for books. This is before Amazon. Yeah. And before <laughs> the internet, I would have to go to a bookstore or go to a public library and literally look down the shelves. And reading was hard for me initially. Um, I have dyslexia and uh, learning to read was difficult. So I would literally look at the spines or the covers and look for female faces and female names. I definitely did that too as growing up. So having diverse books really can pull in the readers that you include. 
some readers, myself included, specifically go out of their way to find the books that include people like them or that are include diversity in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a movement that's becoming more and more important mm-hmm. in writing today. So in what cases would you not want to include diversity in your book? It's not that I wouldn't want to include diversity. It's that I would not want to add it for the sake of, like, your token woman, your token person of color. Mm. So it needs to feel natural to the world or... Yeah, or the circumstance. So I think we've all had this experience with media, with TV, with visual especially, where it seems like they just kind of threw in somebody who was different enough so that they could be like, no, no, we We are diverse. We have a woman. We have a a person of color. Like, look, there's the one. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of one thing is if if you're writing your story and you suddenly go, oh, crud, there are no people with disabilities. There are no queer people. I'm just going to throw in this gay guy. It's like, um, hang on. (laughs) Him being gay is not who he is like that's not the like oh okay so i think the way to avoid that was is your your diverse characters their stories and who they are need to interweave with the greater story like they need to be more than the label you put on them yes it's not like oh and by the way he's gay like it's like he's a character he has feelings he has experiences he's part of the plot maybe he's the good guy maybe he's the bad guy maybe he's the waiter i don't care but him being gay should not be the like main point yes that is the that's the that's the kicker you're not you don't want to include diverse characters just for their diversity characters that have no other point than the check mark they tick off right I think this leads to some pretty poor writing of characters in general. Um, If your character is there only to fill a diversity slot and has no deeper challenges, no no more complexity, then, then that doesn't really work. And another thing I think that doesn't work is putting a character in your story like a person of color or a queer person or um or a person with a disability and leaving out the things that come with those so if you are writing a story set in our world and you include a person of color but leave out any of the struggles that person might have faced that are different from your other characters, then you're doing your your story a disservice. Well, they don't feel real. Yeah. It, the, then you're checking off the mark and not putting in a real character, which hurts your dis, uh, verisimilitude, hurts your believability rather than adding to it. Right. Um, if you are writing a story in... 1950s America and you have a queer person that does not face some pretty significant challenges to simply living their life, then that does not feel real. It's a little different with fantasy. It is. So if your fantasy novel is very diverse and you have 
many different races of people and like there are also aliens and all this kind of stuff, then these people, they're going to go through challenges that are very specific to the world they are in. Becky Chambers does a great job of this. Um, mm -hmm. The long trip to a small angry planet, I think um, is the It's name. the long way to a small angry planet. <laughs> the slow trip to a slightly angry <laughs> moon. <laughs> um, there's a species that uh, I, I think they're called Andrix. And they're kind of like lizard people. Oh, I love them. At one point, two characters, a human and an andrisk, are speaking to each other. And one of them gets a, the human gets the drink for the andrisk. And the and it's a, a bottle. Um, like with, with a top that they can't drink out of because they don't have lips. Yeah. Because they're lizard people. And so she just quickly goes, oh, I need an andrisk friendly cup. And the human goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Here, let me get you. Um, it's but it is a reality that this is a different species who has a tail who has like it's a whole scale. I don't know if she has a, a tail, but um, um, but she, she you know she molts like as as a lizard would as a snake would and that's a whole part of her life and she's really itchy when that's happening and she can't drink out of a bottle because she doesn't have lips. There's so like anything that requires sucking doesn't really doesn't work. work. I think that's a really great example of how you can highlight diversity even without using the the standard um molds that occur in our world because there are certainly people in our world who have to ask for um specific types of drinkware or stuff like that depending on their disabilities or their sensitivities or their to like touch or feeling or anything like this my grandmother uh has always been really sensitive to air on her neck i don't know what this falls into she's not been diagnosed as anything but so she has to but sit she, somewhere but she probably has a sensory thing going on she's always been this way her whole life and it is really really uncomfortable for her to sit under an air vent at a restaurant and we actively will change seats and or ask proactively not to sit in certain areas in restaurants because the whole meal she'll start reaching for her neck and fiddling with her neck and, oh, is it cold in here? And it, it, it uh, she doesn't get upset, but she is physically uncomfortable the whole time. Yeah, so Becky Chambers kindly and really well, very thoughtfully illustrates what it might be like for somebody who has a sensory thing or... A, no lips <laughs> or no lips or a specific some other specific requirement to that may be different from some from other people and i mean it's probably a pain to have to ask for that kind of thing all the time you know mm. so you you can do this without even having humans right it, it, you could have fairies or elves or trolls or whatever's going on here. Or Andrisks. Yeah, no, or aliens. I think that's or... probably taken. Right. <laughs> um, it, it, it's not difficulty with the world around you not being 100% perfect for your body or your brain is not a human American thing. Yeah. A white human male thing. It's not. It's everybody feels that. Yes. So you can use fantasy or sci-fi to showcase the the struggles that a really amazingly diverse amount of people go through um 
Star Trek does this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm new to Star Trek. I didn't grow up with Star Trek the way Sterling here did. Or but maybe you were exposed to it in utero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, her hurt. But um, so I'm I'm getting to experience like how they portrayed diversity. Um, there's a 1995 show portraying one of the, like the first te- televised lesbian kisses in one of their episodes, and how they did this by making an allegory for homosexuality through this aliens culture and I think that is a really clever way to be diverse and in a way it's an it allows you to do it before it's even okay mm-hmm. it allowed Star Trek to do that there um uh interracial relationships and uh, queer. queer relationships before it was acceptable by doing it through this lens of like sci-fi it's not us it's the aliens and interestingly we had a conversation i think it might even have been one interview with another one of our really really good friends um Juliet Dunn. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought you were talking about. And she said that she identified often with robots portrayed in science fiction novels because they have this, uh, they had characteristics similar to those she faced as a person with autism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, again, sci-fi and fantasy are definitely places where you can help people let people be seen without even calling it the under the same names that we do mm-hmm. yeah so that kind of goes over the the pros of having a diverse story and how not to do it and some of of the times in which it's it's not a good idea to do it mm-hmm. so how do you do it the right way See, that's the thing that always, like, kind of gets me going when people are like, it's hard to write women. It's like, no, write a human being. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> End of story. Um, so, basically, these these characters need to be just as complex, just as um, detailed and who have struggles and desires, motivations, just like any other character, you just might be also including specific struggles to their situation, their situation, their uniqueness, particular motivations that fit their, their unique um, situation. Right. And the best way to go about this kindly if you are not a person that falls within this category, is to do some research. Yep. There is no no shortcut to doing this well. <laughs> right, right. So like like let's take queerness for instance. Like not all queer people will have faced the same challenges in their life. Yeah, a, a queer person growing up in New York City probably has had different challenges than a queer person growing up in rural uh, Arkansas. Yeah, and 
and or, you know, depending if they are affiliated with any kind of group or religion or association that was pro or against or had complicated feelings about that as well. Maybe the rural person in Arkansas was also part of a very, very loving, embracing Buddhist commune. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And the person who lived in New York City is actually a very strict, um, one of the faiths that maybe is not comfortable with queerness. Yeah, that's a good point. The rest of their background will play into the struggles they face. Right. And beyond that, each of these groups has communities. There are ways that people within these communities act. Mm -hmm. There are things they like to be called, things that they don't like to be called. And I think being aware of all of these things is important to doing diversity or having diversity in your story kindly. Um, I think that there are different opinions on how this should be handled in various instances, but the most important aspect, the most important thing to doing this right is coming coming at this diversity that you're including in your story from a place of tolerance and kindness. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you might not get everything right. You might find that some people think your portrayal of a lesbian is not good for various reasons. Your your best bet is to do your research and talk to the people in these communities. So if you are not a lesbian, you're not a queer person, and you're writing a lesbian character, then find a lesbian. Find a lesbian. Find a a wild one. (laughs) We're out there. (laughs) First you have to tame them. (laughs) Find find somebody who fits that um, category. That category to talk to. This is where you might even hire a sensitivity reader. Somebody who understands these groups and can read your book for money. For money, basically. For it's their job. Yeah. It should sensitive, be paid for their job. Yes. Sensitivity sensitivity readers uh, should be paid for their work. But they for read their sensitivity. They read your 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 book to to ensure that you are doing it kindly, that you're doing it in the best way it can be. Yeah, and you don't even have to have them read the whole thing. If you're working on a budget, you can pick out a couple scenes that you're a little not sure about. And you're like, hi, I will pay you to read these scenes. Please tell me what's, um, what I can do better. Yeah. Also, pay attention to your, your comments, to your reviews. As always, these are really great tools to get an idea of how your your books are reaching others. Mm-hmm. And yeah, do your research. Talk to people in the community. But, you know, really, first and foremost, write a human being who, yeah. like, has a whole thing going on other than just being gay or Asian or disabled or take your pick, you know? Yeah. Like, they're a whole person. Not just their queerness, not just their muscular dystrophy. Like, yeah, they're a whole thing. Exactly. 
Alrighty, well, I think that wraps up today's episode. Um, don't forget to follow us at LS Fables and or join our newsletter at ellisfables.com.